0: Welcome to Digging Deeper in Grace, a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Our goal each episode is to dig deeper into the scriptures with a focus on our most recent sermon. And now, let's dig deeper. Well, hello and welcome back to this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, and really pleased today to welcome Josh Taylor and Daniel Ackerman to the table for today's discussion. Guys, thanks for being with us. It's great to have you with us.
1: Yeah, good to be here. First time caller long-time listener though, it's good so. to have that
0: <laughs> and josh just uh, this past sunday he opened the word from exodus chapter 3 verses 1 through 14 and that scripture passage and josh's comments are going to be the focus of our discussion today daniel daniel's a guy he's kind of an unsung hero and i'm going to start off with you daniel daniel is a guy every week i'm waiting for an email comes on Thursday morning, early Thursday afternoon. Daniel is the gentleman who works to put things together for those adult Bible fellowship classes who are following along with the sermon and teaching from the same sermon material or the scripture passage. Daniel, take us through what you do each week in helping our ABFs, our adult Bible fellowships, and small group leaders prepare for that week's message.
1: Yeah, so you're you're talking about the sermon discussion guide, right? Um, so each week I I create <clears throat> based off of discussions that we have in the the preaching team meeting earlier in the week, typically on Mondays or Tuesdays, uh, a, a discussion guide for small group leaders and for ABF teachers uh, to consider how they may follow up on the sermon that is preached on Sunday. Uh, so on Thursdays, I'll send out. A uh, an email with an attachment that has the sermon discussion guide, uh, and in that guide is an outline of the sermon that's coming up on Sunday that that the preacher will have given me, and then about you know two pages or so of of just ideas of questions that leaders can be thinking through to ask their groups, and to hopefully just dig deeper into some of the application points, especially uh, that the preacher. Um, didn't exactly get to touch on in, in depth on Sunday. So that's that's what the, the guide is for, and I do it each week, and uh, hopefully you enjoy using it, and others do too, and hopefully it's a, a help for them. And i would also say, actually, it's on, on the Sunday morning email. Uh, We're actually starting to include that on the Sunday morning email too. So uh, if you're you know thinking of ways that you'd like to incorporate sermon reflection in your own personal devotions or maybe even at the, the dinner table with your family, uh, hopefully that could be a good resource for those in the congregation to, to utilize and use as they see fit.
0: So if you are a member or an attender of a, an adult Bible fellowship or a small group here through Grace Baptist Church, uh, and you think that your leader or your teacher is getting all that information, they might get some of it themselves, but Daniel just told you the real story. He's, uh, he's feeding us a lot of good information. It's really good information. It's good. Good helps good uh, opportunities to say okay yeah that is a great idea to initiate discussion so hey thanks for what you do that's really a it's a key part of our teaching week so uh, let's let's move in here to this text I I find Moses really an interesting individual you know we know him and Elijah those are two of the key figures I mean when you hear about the Old Testament and and even Judaism they really put Moses and Elijah kind of up on a pedestal and uh, key individuals throughout the Old Testament and That really flavors how I see Moses. But during the first couple of chapters of Exodus, we're coming to know the young Moses. We don't really see anything in these two chapters and that portrayal of him that would lead us to believe that he's a budding man of great faith. So what gives here, Josh?
2: Well, you're exactly right, and that's a right way to think of Moses. In fact, when you get to the end of Deuteronomy, uh, when Moses dies, it says in Deuteronomy 34.10, there has not arisen a prophet since, is, since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. So, I mean, he is a, a towering figure in scripture. But you're right. At the, I mean, the beginning of Exodus, he, he certainly appears on the scene as a promising figure. You know, he's rescued from the Nile River, raised in Pharaoh's court, and yet seemingly throws it all away when he kills an Egyptian slave master and flees to the wilderness. Um but as we saw this week, God sh- surely wasn't done with him. And even as we looked at chapter 3, and Pastor Tim will continue this week, Mo- Moses doesn't jump on the opportunity. Uh, he resists the call, and-, and maybe even to the point of disobedience, is resisting the Lord's call on his life. And yet that is something we see over and over again in Scripture. If you think about um, in Deuteronomy 7, the, the Lord said, or Moses says to the people of Israel that the Lord chose them, not because you were more in number than any other people, that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers and, and over and over again, God chooses people, not because of who they are, but because he loves them and he chooses them often in spite of their weaknesses. And and that, that is the very means by which God is most glorified, is that, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, we are holding this treasure in jars of clay to show the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. And we see that uh, exemplified in the life of Moses.
0: Somewhat of a zero-to-hero type of a figure. But then in the end we we know the end from the beginning because we read the scripture in deuteronomy he dies uh under uh, under a cloud so to speak i mean Mm -hmm. it's he's way up there and then because of his sin early Mm -hmm. in the uh, desert wanderings he is, uh, is he's told that he cannot enter into the to the uh new land that's right
2: yeah well
0: Josh pointed out that the three patriarchs with whom God first identifies himself there in verse 6, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were in many ways spiritual failures. This goes back to what you were talking about, Moses, uh, Josh. And Josh shared that this seems to be God's mode of operation. He chooses weak men and women who become great when he empowers and he accompanies them kind of reminds me of something that we studied here back late last year, in the last half of last year. That was in Matthew chapter 5, the first part of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus calls those who are weak and downtrodden, blessed. It seems that there's some symmetry between these passages.
1: Yeah, yeah, I I think so. Um, And I think that's just a, a common pattern, really, in all of Scripture, is that those who are weak and those who are From the world's perspective least likely to be significant are exactly who God chooses to do great works for him and we see I think one of the reasons that we see that and God uses people like that is to not not emphasize the power and the greatness of those particular you know people's strengths and education and abilities but to emphasize and to highlight God's ability to use whatever means necessary uh, to accomplish what he wants to accomplish. Um, so that would mean using weak men and women uh, to highlight the power of God um, and to really expose even the folly of this world and um, expose our um, <clears throat> you know, own understandings of what what true power and what true wisdom is. Um, and in contrast to, What the world thinks that is, God shows that, you know, he is the one who actually holds all the power, Uh, and he can use men and women who very much we can identify with, Um, and I think that's an encouragement to us, is we may think of Abraham, Moses, Isaac, Jacob, all these Old Testament figures as as very significant, and they did great things, but I even think of, Paul says in, in Acts 13, he gives a long history of Israel. And he goes through a number of men and women who did all these things, but in, in each of those significant moments in Israel's history, he does not focus. Paul does not focus on uh, the the abilities and the strengths of those men and women, but throughout he points to the providential uh, sovereignty of God, who is working through those men and women to accomplish His purposes. Uh, and I think that's the encouragement to us: is we may feel like those weak men and women who have who have failed. Uh, We feel like we don't uh, measure up, especially with those who are around us, uh, but God is able to use us for his glory um, through our trust and our faith in him and in his power to work through us.
0: And I would say that that thought process that God uses the weak is especially pertinent and especially uh, helpful to three schmucks like us, would you say? <laughs> yeah, that's great. <right. laughs> tax, tax collectors,
1: sinners, and auctioneers. God can, God can use them all. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, Daniel, let, let's take that another way, okay? Let, as, as a practical matter, God has given many people great talents, mm-hmm. strong spiritual gifts, amazing faith, mm-hmm. and so much more, and I'm sure he wants each of us to use all that he has given us. So, is it wrong? Yeah to want to do great things for God, and is it wrong to make plans that would facilitate those great things that we want to do for God? God wants the weak. What gives here?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, I think I think it is right to want to do great things for God, and I think whatever that pursuit may be, whether it's, you know, I want to do a, a great thing for God by, by discipling this younger person in our church, or by starting a small group or by, by teaching a class, I think those are great things. Uh, but I think the motivation should always be what you just said, that these are great things I want to do for the Lord. And these aren't great things I want to do to make my own you know, reputation uh, more highly esteemed within the church or in the community, but I really want the name of the Lord to be honored and revered as a result of the work that he's doing through me. So just keeping that motivation um,
2: The proper motivation in view there, I think, is is key for that. I think it's also really important to define greatness. Mm. Um, You know, it's easy to read the story of Moses and think, well, that's great. I mean, he went before Pharaoh. And then to look at my own life and think, well, I I mean, I'm not even in that kind of category of greatness. And yet we were just studying Matthew. In Matthew 25, there's a parable about final judgment. Mm and uh you know there the the king is separating the sheep from the goats and the king says to the sheep come you who are blessed by my father inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world for i was hungry and you gave me food i was thirsty you gave mm-hmm. me drink i was a stranger and you welcomed me i was naked and you clothed me i was sick and you visited me and i was i was in prison and you came to me and it goes on to say well Lord, we, we didn't see you. And he says, well, as you did to the least of these, you did also mm. to me. And, and so for the believer, greatness is not necessarily appearing before Pharaoh. Greatness is serving even the least of those among us as if we are serving the Lord himself. And uh, for us to be found faithful doing that is great.
0: Mm. Tim Cockrell and I were talking last week about the importance of doing not only what certainly doing what god wants us to do but how do we determine what that is we look around the body what needs to be done it's not what do i want to do uh do i want to be up in front and be the be the man well is it the little guy a little three-year-old who's crying over here who needs comforted or is it a wiping a nose or other various Mm -hmm. parts of bodies or whatever Uh, you know what what needs to be done is so important uh would you say too that it's important to keep in mind who the center of the story is? As I read chapter three, so read the whole thing. I'm thinking first three chapters. Well, who's the who's the obvious main character of this story? Well, it's Moses, right? Not really. Yeah. <laughs> who is the main story of any part of the scripture? And that is God.
1: Yeah, pleasing absolutely. Him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I think even in you know these first three chapters, obviously the main main character is God, but it's it's God working through seemingly insignificant people um, who would maybe otherwise not have a big part in any story. You know, he works through the, the midwives in chapter one. Uh, he works through Miriam and uh, Jochebed and these, these characters who, um, in contrast to, you know, Pharaoh, this great man, or even, even Moses, who will later become a great man, they're a small. Uh, characters along the way that God is using to show that he is the main character, but he also uses these, uh, again, seemingly insignificant figures to accomplish uh, his his great plan of true greatness.
0: Well, well, Josh, let's move to another emphasis that you made the other day on Sunday when you were uh, sharing from the word. I appreciated that emphasis that we need God's word more than the miracles and signs that we might crave as 21st century Christians. I mean, we look Mm. at what happened here in Exodus and think, wow, I wish I could have had manna coming down on me. Or I wish I could have had the the quails, or as we get on into the Pentateuch. But. I'm reminded daily of the ease with which we can stray from God's word. It's real easy for us to begin looking for other sources of encouragement, wisdom, guidance, even relief from the pressures of everyday life. And and you talked about developing patterns in our lives that place the reading and the understanding of the scriptures at the forefront of, of what is important to us. So, Josh, Daniel, how are you guys responding to that challenge? How do you guys daily respond to that challenge? And what are and, and if you don't mind being a little uh, open and transparent, what are some of the the frustrations that you have with yourself sometimes? I think we need to hear. Hey, guys who spent all their days in a within the walls of a church building, yeah, hmm. I'm guessing you might have some struggles too. Would you mind sharing just? Some of the things that you do and some of the frustrations you have with yourselves.
2: Yeah, I think um, in terms of Bible reading and just fellowship with God, um, devotional time, um, it's certainly something that I've had to continue to make a priority in my life, even as I've entered into different seasons and have different routines and schedules you
0: have different routines and schedules? <laughs> Do tell. <Yeah. laughs>
2: um, Marriage can be a big deal. That's true. And I'm true. serious about that. Yeah. And honestly, it's even easier for people in ministry to think, well, I'm going to spend the day reading the Bible anyways, or I'm going to have time doing sermon prep, so I, I, I can sleep in for a little bit longer. Um, and And for me, it's been a continual effort to say, No, I need to get up and spend time out of the office before going into work, like everyone else in our church, Mm -hmm. before going to work, wherever they may be working, uh, alone with the Lord. And so uh, for me lately, that's been in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, We're we're leaning towards teaching that in the youth group this fall, and so I've been slowly reading it, and and I have really enjoyed reading a commentary alongside it, Um, and there are all sorts of different kinds of commentaries from very deep scholarly ones to more mm-hmm. sermonic pastoral ones. And I typically gravitate towards that in the morning because I'm not ready for the the deep things <laughs> at that point. But that's been a rich way to, to study God's Word uh, on my own and, and, and has been how I've been doing it lately. Daniel? Yeah. Well, I totally resonate that uh,
1: there are difficult seasons where – it is hard to get in, in the word and to be in prayer. And you talk about changes in schedules and routines. Having a baby for me this past year was one of those uh, shakeups in routine. And I've found, you know, over these past few months, um, if I want to prioritize reading God's word undistracted and unhindered from parental responsibilities, uh, one of the sacrifices that means for me is just getting a little less sleep. Um and and don't get me wrong, that, that is very hard. and that that takes time to you know, cultivate the mindset of of waking up early in order to be in God's Word. Uh, but I found it to be worth it. and it's good to get up before you know Hudson's awake so that I can have uh, undistracted time reading God's Word. And, and for me right now, uh, I've been reading through the New Testament, I'm in Romans. And uh, oftentimes, I don't, I'm not as uh, dedicated as Josh. I don't read a commentary uh, alongside my personal devotions, currently at least. But I do use other resources that have been really helpful. Um, oftentimes, I'll read a, a psalm as well. And I found th- there's a number of different devotionals even through the psalms. Um, there's one that I've been reading by the Ortland, one of the Ortland guys uh, that just has a short devotional. Uh, with each psalm um, that that he just writes, a, maybe a page long, that's been helpful for me. Uh, and then I also use the Valley of Vision, which is a, a a prayer book of Puritan prayers. Oftentimes, either before or after I'm done uh, reading God's word, to either to tune my heart to hear from God, or to help me respond rightly to His word. So those are some things that I do. I don't always do it perfectly, but I always remind myself if if not if I'm not in God's word in the morning. Um, that's like, you know, eating a cupcake when you're on a diet, you know, in the morning and feeling like, well, you know, might as well just make it a cheat day. <laughs> but, you know, you have all day to read word God's word and to really, uh, see it as food that we need in the same way that we eat three meals a day. You know, we really should be dipping back into God's word throughout the day, whether it's, you know, small portions at a time or just sitting down to read a short book of the Bible. Um, yeah, those, those are my habits and routines though. Uh, they're not as polished as they may seem to be. <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, and wouldn't you say too? Well, let me just say this: if you're like me, it's a continual starting over yeah. and regalvanizing myself for that task. It's not easy. No, it's it certainly goes against the against the thrust of the world. Mm-hmm. And it gives, goes against the thrust of everything we have ahead of us to do. You guys are busy. I'm busy, and it's very easy not to. But God. You know, God's mercies are new every morning, right? Mm-hmm. And we, when we fail, we go back. And it's, is it a sin not to read the Scripture? We can talk about that another time. But it certainly is crippling if we don't. Mm-hmm. It cripples our ministry, cripples our ability to fully function as God's ambassadors here on earth.
2: Yeah, and I, I think sadly, I know I've sensed this in my own life and, and others, when you miss a day or two, you start to just unravel, you know, and, and you start to heap guilt upon yourself of well, oh, I should be reading God's word. I'm not doing it what I need to do. And that keeps you from just jumping back in. Right. And I remember a dear friend of mine just drilling into the into me the phrase, Never stop starting. And uh, just and the idea starting over. Yeah. And starting mm-hmm. over. And just to say, um, what Daniel's saying, it, it's it's what you're you're missing out. On the bread of life, mm. and so just just jump back on the horse and try again today.
0: And there are few people whom I know, uh, committed mature believers, who don't have to regularly start over. Yep, uh, mm. I see it all the time. So for, for those of you listening who say, "Hey, I just can't do this," like that guy or that gal or whomever. Uh, yeah. First of all, yes, you can. Second of all, that person's having the same struggles that you're having. Yeah. Yep. So you're not alone. So, okay, so Josh, you made the point early on that that we must worship God because of who he is and what he has done. I wrote that down. I was listening. He he describes himself. God describes himself, or we've already said, as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then he goes on later on to say when Moses asked, so who should I say sent me? Mm -hmm. When the people asked me, he said, I am who I am. We didn't spend a, a tremendous amount of time on this Sunday, but other than his self-sufficiency, what else does this self-naming phrase communicate to Moses, in? and what does it communicate to us about who God is? Names mean something. And yep. In this case, no less than any other.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and there, there's there been a lot of ink spilled over the <laughs> centuries trying to describe what this is. But and... well, we're going to give you the right answer. Right there we go. So, Here we're, it our, is. <laughs> our focus is on you, yeah. Josh. Um, but I think you're you're actually right in saying names mean something and uh in a sense, you know, when you think about what Moses is being called to do, he's being called to go to Pharaoh and, and what's gonna happen is God is going the Lord is going to triumph over the so called gods of Egypt. And the gods of Egypt all have various names that indicate something, and that's very common among pagan gods. And there's a sense in which the Lord is saying, "Well, you you can't put me in that category. Like I'm not I'm like I'm not like them. I'm in my own category altogether." And so, um, yeah, it seems to be a claim of self-existence and eternality. Um, he's also, again, we don't want to disconnect it from uh, being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then, as we continue reading through Exodus, when we get to Exodus 34. We see almost uh, the Lord unpacking this to Moses in Exodus 34, verse 6. It says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, uh, that's the divine name right there, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty and, th- and that, that is the God of Israel. And so um, it, is, it, is an, it is an amazing response. It seems to almost define the, the category uh, in itself. And, and um, I think that's the best way of understanding what, what God is saying here to Moses.
0: And it's certainly not what Moses expected. You know, I don't know if mm. Moses was expecting, hey, you know, call me John or call me Bart or, <laughs> right. Josh or Daniel, but it certainly—I'm guessing what what he was expecting. I just when I hear, "I am who I am," or in the old King James, "I am that I am," this idea of self-existent. There was no, there were no other forces that came to bear on making God God. Mm-hmm. He just is. Yep. He's not it, it, the 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 to be. Uh, that uh verb to be mm-hmm. he just is in and of himself mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i can't I honestly can't comprehend it, but boy it's fun trying
2: yeah, well, and to that point he is he is utterly free from anything forcing him to act, and so part of the point is, and she is in exodus thirty three God chooses who he will set his love upon nothing is constraining him. To redeem the Israelites, besides his own desire to do so, and and that's that's part of the the beauty of our redemption is is we don't deserve it, and yet God freely chooses to give of Himself to make us His own.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I even think too, just with the point that the name of the Lord Yahweh, as we'd say, uh, being distinct from the gods <clears throat> uh, of Egypt and the other pagan go- gods in the the surrounding. Countries, um, I think of Exodus 15, 11 to 12, uh, this is after the Exodus and Moses and all the people of Israel sing, who is like you, Yahweh, among the gods, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. You stretched out your right hand and the earth swallowed them. So I think Josh is right. God is, is totally uh, independent of of any external forces, and really God is actually the one who is uh, in control of all the forces of this world, using even creation itself to accomplish his purposes by his right hand.
0: Very good. Very good. Well, let, let's end on this comment or this question, uh, and Josh, I'm going to pose this to you. Uh, the challenge that you gave to all who are listening there on Sunday morning was to be ready and willing to serve when God calls come on, let's face it, sometimes we just feel like we're the ones out to pasture. We're not educated enough. We're not old enough. We're too old. We're not one of the in crowd. They're probably a group we all can see ourselves in and in, in these and many others, but what are some practical ways that any of us who might be feeling that way can make ourselves available to, be, to God to be used in mighty ways?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. Um, a few things come to mind. The first one is to pray and ask the lord to help you see opportunities to do that and he will um the second is read your bible especially your new testament look for all of the one another statements and begin to evaluate am i doing these things um because god actually gives us a lot of instruction for life throughout the new testament how we're to treat one another especially within the believing community and and that can be a really good measure of how that's happening and the third thing i would say is talk to one of the elders Um, ephesians 4 says that god has given the church elders to equip us for the work of ministry and so if you're not sure where to fit in or what to do talk to an elder because i know each of us have uh have knowledge of needs within the congregation and, and we love to have those kinds of conversations. And so, if, if you're stuck and unsure of where you might contribute, please talk to one of the pastors at the church and see where they might point you and, and realize there are, there are needs. It's just a matter of finding them. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I would also add, too, it's, um, you know, when we think of involvement in the church, our immediate um, thoughts may go to, well, I need to, to preach in the pulpit or I need to sing or play piano, or I need to you know be a, a youth leader, which you should really sh- consider doing. Um, <laughs> but you think of these, uh, these formal commitments, but there are also just needs that can extend to you know inviting someone over for dinner. And, you know we, we watch new membership videos most Sundays, and there are members that we can invite into our homes. No matter how clean we think our homes are or how messy the kids make it, uh, we can invite people in and, and, and share the love of Christ in that way just by be wel- being welcoming and, in a sense, doing great things for the Lord in that way. And the, the, the small, again, seemingly uh, insignificant uh, you know, ways of ministering to others. Mm-hmm. Years
0: ago, one of our politicians took a big hit uh, from the other side of the the aisle, so to speak, when she said that uh, it takes a village to raise a child. When you get right down to it, it takes the whole people of God to come along each side each other and to build up the body I, you'd mentioned chapter uh, 4 of Ephesians uh, I think it was Josh you did that uh, I want to read from that starting in verse 13 um, it's talking about the those who are gifted to bring up others and to uh, help others mature but Then in verse 13 says until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood or I could add womanhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by, uh, by crafting us in deceitful schemes. And it goes on. But the the important thing is that all of God's people need, are needed, all hands on deck, in order to help the body mature to the fullness of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so if you're out there and you're wondering, but I can't do what that guy does or what that gal does, As Josh said, talk to an elder. Talk to a ministry leader. What can I be doing? Allow yourself to to come under the tutelage of one who maybe is doing something you want to do and ask them, hey, help me. Show me what I can be doing. And don't be afraid to start small. Mm -hmm. So small things that are big, have big rewards. Yep. Well, today, Josh Taylor and Daniel Ackerman have been my guests for this episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. We've been discussing Josh's recent sermon from Exodus chapter three. You can access that message on YouTube, and you can also access past podcast episodes by using your favorite podcast app or by visiting gracecederville.org on the World Wide Web and clicking podcast on the media tab. We also encourage you to share your questions and comments with us each week by emailing them to contact at gracecederville.org. That's contact at gracecederville.org. And plan to join us next week. Tim Cockrell will be continuing our discussion of God's Word as we finish Exodus chapter three. And until then, I'm your host, Bart Sheridan, thanking you for tuning into this week's episode of Digging Deeper in Grace. Digging Deeper in Grace is a ministry of Grace Baptist Church in Cedarville, Ohio. Visit us online at gracecederville.org and join us next time as we continue our discussion. In the meantime, we invite you to continue digging deeper in grace as you read God's Word.